We're going to be in 1 Peter again today in our A Living Hope series. So while other people are getting their Bibles, you can uh, begin turning to 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. God, we believe that you created the world and everything in it. And because of that, everything is under your authority that you can still speak truth and life into it. And I pray this morning that, that as we, we open up your scripture, we listen to your words, that you will breathe new life into us again this morning. You'll just teach us what we need to know um, so we can live uh, trusting and obedient and full and free lives in Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, please stand with me as we read. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Amen. You may be seated. So if, if this is your first Sunday joining us for a Living Hope series, it's perfect because the way this starts out is finally, which means we're coming to the conclusion of a certain thought. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to go back to the beginning of that thought and work our way really quickly towards what we're summing up here. Really when it says finally, it means the sum of all these ideas is this. And so the sum is this. We're going to begin in... In 1 Peter 1.23, this is what it says. It says, For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So the beginning of this thought that we're going to be ending here, when it says, finally, to conclude this, to end this, begins with new birth, begins with this fresh start, of being born again. And if, if you come and you're, you're not a Christian, you might not be familiar with, with the Christian's ideas of, of the way the world works and how we can, how we can come to be forgiven and free. Um, this is a great place to begin um, because what you're going to see is that you're going to be able to look in on the way we think about life. Um, the way we think about life is that we were, we were all dead in our sins <laughs> And because of what Jesus did, so Jesus, God himself, came. And in Colossians, it says, literally all your sins, all you've done, all the mean things you've done, punching little kids, lying to your spouse, you know, carousing at night, all those things, it says we're nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, and that was placed there with him. And so if we come to him and say, Jesus, I believe what you did can forgive all the wrong that I have done. 
And then, and then the new beginning is what's called the new birth. So you're fresh like a baby. Okay? You can begin again, start over again. It says, for you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. And if you want to get this, you know, it says, be thou my vision. And so the vision God is giving you is that this new birth, the beginning of it, isn't just going to end when you die at 40, 60, 80, 105, whatever it is. That life, you'll just see, start over again into a new life that God's called for us to share with him for eternity. Um, going on in verses, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, the promise of this new life is that we will be growing up into what's called a full experience of salvation. So you're born again, but you're not experiencing yet the full experience of salvation. That's something that you're looking forward to. And so some of you might even be, have been Christians for a long time, but you're still functioning as newborn babies, right? You, there's still some ideas that God's thrown your way through the scripture that you're just like, I don't, I don't understand this at all. And you might even be, feel, feel like you're at, this, um, you're at this place where you're just not experiencing salvation. Maybe you talk to somebody who's a Christian too, and they're like, man, I had this fresh time in the Word. Like, I, I went out and I had a date with Jesus, and, and he was just showing himself to me. And you go, well, I'm a Christian. Why am I not experiencing that? Why am I not experiencing that? And first, and, and first Peter 2.1 says that we are meant to be growing up into the full experience of salvation. So there could be a, an experience of salvation that you have not yet experienced. Not, not necessarily a forgiveness because you've been forgiven, but God is meaning to pull you into this relationship with him where you can be communicating to him and he can be communicating to you and that his spirit is living in you, right? Very exciting. <laughs> and so maybe just because you're a Christian, you're not experiencing that full experience of salvation. And so, so new birth into full experience of salvation. And then it goes on to define who we are by saying, okay, you guys, you newborns, what you are is you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So it gives us some clout. So we're like, sweet. I'm, I'm top dog. I'm a, I'm a chosen people. <laughs> right? I'm, a, I'm a royal priesthood. Right? That's who I am. But then it gives us perspective. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says, But I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And so, so those desires that wage war against your souls is you're going, I'm a, I'm a chosen people. I'm a, I'm a royal priesthood. I feel so special. And so all of a sudden you begin um, using that as this place to like look down on other people. But just as it says of Jesus that his kingdom was not of this world, right? But he was calling people into his kingdom that as we're experiencing the freedom and the full experience of salvation, that we're meant to be understanding that we're living in a world that is still in conflict against us. That sees us not merely as citizens, but maybe because you're a Christian, you're a subpar citizen, right? So maybe because you're a Christian and you have beliefs, you have convictions, you're, you're not like they are. So they might be the ones looking down on you. 
And so how do we deal with that in this world? Well, in verses 12, it says, well, be careful to live properly, live so good among unbelievers that though they might accuse you of doing wrong, and that wrong might just be, well, you, you're upholding something that, I'm not, that I don't agree with. So you as a Christian might say, you know what, I don't think, I'm just going to say addictions as a whole, you know, maybe, maybe those addictions won't satisfy you, man. And they're going to go, man, I'm free to do whatever I want, right? And so they're going to accuse you of being judgmental and harsh, But it says, may you live such good lives in this world that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. And so what this looks like, it gets even more practical because it starts throwing out situations and circumstances in your own life. The first one is governing authorities. The second one is masters or, or bosses. And the third one is husbands and wives. And so in each of these situations, what does it look like for you to be someone who, having this full experience of salvation, is living that out in a relationship with other people? So, so when, when Peter is speaking, because he's experienced this relationship with the living person of Jesus Christ, He's not just holding, a lot of us just treat that as like like a heart or a spirit matter, but he's immediately translating that into what it looks like in the relationships that you have every day, right? Whether it's a, a camera light at one of those red light, you know, that you get like flashed and you're like, that governing authority, right? It's like how to interact with that. Peter's speaking into that, right? You get pulled over by a police officer, or they decide to, to do, you know, health care a way that you didn't really want health care to be done, right? How to interact with all those situations. <laughs> Peter's speaking into that, right? Or if you have a boss who's harsh, Peter's speaking into that, right? Or if you have a spouse who might not even be hard to live with, but is an unbeliever, and he even speaks into that, right? Or a spouse that's hard to live with. Speaking into that. How your full experience of salvation isn't just something that you, you hold up inside of you and then like live like a jerk. right? He's saying you can't do both those things. But, but live in such a way that when people, even though they might accuse you of doing wrong because they just don't understand you, that when Jesus comes, they'll be like, I, I, understand, I understand. I understand why they lived with that hope. Right? When, we, when we read in chapter 1, it says a living hope. That they see in you a living hope. I was talking to uh, one of the guys who hosted a Basque student, you know, where we're going. Um, in Basque country, 3.5 million people. There's only an estimate 100 believers in that, in that whole people group. And he was talking to his student, and his student said this. She goes, the difference between us in Basque country and you is that you have hope. She says, we live, we have a thriving economy, but we don't have hope. Right? And so we have in Christ a living hope that, that lets itself be seen in every area of our lives. Right? That you're not, and we're going to talk about this, you're not speaking ill of your bosses or your governing authorities or of your spouses, but you're speaking blessings on them. 
right? And how much that will transform not only you, but your relationships with those people. So the most important message that we have from this as we, as we come into it, chapter 3, verse 8, the most important message that we get coming into that is this. That as we, we as Christians are sent out into the world, we are not sent out alone to do a mission by ourselves under the authority of an unjust government or unfair masters or an unbelieving spouse. But we're reminded in chapter 2, verse 21, that for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So, what we have here, I'm going to give you two examples as we come into this finally in conclusion the way that oftentimes we perceive ourselves as Christians and the way we should perceive ourselves coming in to what we're going to conclude with. The first is, oftentimes, we perceive ourselves as knights of the round table. King Arthur's round table. Who we all come and we get in our little spots and then we receive this epic journey to go on and we all go out and we all get beat up. Maybe we're victorious, maybe we're not. Maybe some of us die. Then we come back and we're like... And we just retell our adventures. That's not the way we are asked to fulfill what is placed before us in these. How are we supposed to live in an unjust government? How are we supposed to live maybe with an unfair boss? Well, it's not a mission that we just, you hear on a Sunday morning and we just kick you out the door and go, go get them. The example that's given in the scripture is this. Ending chapter 2, it says, But now, it says, Once you were like sheep who wandered away. So once you were doing this by yourself. At one time you were doing this alone. But now you have turned to your shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So once you were doing this all alone, but you're not meant to do it all alone. You have a shepherd and guardian of your souls. And the way I thought about this was, if you've ever been out on the coast and you have these jetties that go really far out, especially if you're down by the mouth of the Columbia and it just goes away out and you have these huge boulders. And if, you ever, if, you're, uh, if you're a young child going out there, it's treacherous to jump from one boulder to the next. But if you have, if you have a father with you who's holding your hand, have you ever had that experience? If you can remember back to having this experience as a child where, where you slipped and you fell, but because you were holding that hand, you were falling and you saw the rising waves and everything was, seemed like it was hopeless. But the hand that you were holding swept you up, right? And you just felt light. You felt weightless because you were holding the hand of your guardian. And that's the example that's given here. How to live in maybe a country where you don't always agree with the policies, right? Or, or live under a boss where you might not agree with what he's asking you to do, or with a spouse who just seems to not understand you, right? How to live with that. How you can live with that is you are no longer a wandering sheep, but you have one who is a shepherd and guardian of your souls, that, that you are meant to, as it says in verse 21, follow in his steps. 
So that, that is what we've received so far. Now, finally, it gives us another piece. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. And so the second piece here is that you're meant to live as with Christ as your guardian, following in his steps, where he walked, you walk. The next one is you should be of one mind. Literally, what this is saying is wrap your minds around the same thing. And so not only are you not doing this alone because you have Jesus, but you not only are doing this alone because your ch- this church should be there for you. And you should be there for the church, right? You all should be wrapping your minds around the same thing. One of the commentaries said this. It says, a person's character is determined and revealed by the things they give their minds to. Right? And that's true, right? If we are giving our minds, if we are wrapping our minds as a church and as a people constantly around, where did Jesus go and how are we following him? That's powerful, right? And then you can rely on each other member doing that too, wrapping your minds around the very same thing. So the strength for the daily struggle not only comes from Jesus being the shepherd and guardian of your souls, but us as a church being united, right? And you see this in the book of Acts. When you really see the church, like, like go for it, right? It says they were of one mind praying together, and God just manifested himself through them, right? And so you, you cannot expect as a Christian to even, even closely experience your full potential unless you are not united in one mind with the body of Christ. And, and I hope that, that we, can, we can do that together. Um, the result of being united in one mind together is this. Sympathizing, and this is in the text, sympathizing, loving each other as siblings, or it says brothers and sisters, being tender-hearted and keeping a humble attitude. So, if any of us were writing this, what we would have just written was love, right? We, really, we, we break everything down to the most common denominator, and we're like, these are all synonyms, let's just say love. But this is like, I, I, there's a few examples I thought of on this, and this is like me trying to explain my mother's garden to you guys. Right? If I came up to my mother's garden, this is what it would look like. I'd be like, these are the flowers, these are the vegetables, that's the raspberries. <laughs> right? <laughs> because I don't have this appreciation for each, like, what kind of tomatoes they are, right? Or that's not just lettuce, that's this kind of lettuce. Right? <laughs> but what Peter is presenting to us is the small things that we can appreciate which make up the whole, right? So oftentimes, when, when we throw out things so silly as like, can't we just all love each other, right? And, and you are just as familiar with this as I am, but, but how little meaning that has. How very little meaning that has because, because everyone, when they say that, they just, their own idea of love is like, is like their political system being in place, right? <laughs> or, or whatever they want happening, right? And so, so Peter's breaking it down on a, to a more common denominator. Um, another example I thought of, and, um, and I know Sheila will appreciate this, is 
is if you remember the, remember the song, which is like, you know, the leg bones connected to the hip bone, the hip, right? And so we're like, in these like really un, you know, thought out professional terms. But if you talk to a doctor, they're like, well, actually, that's your femur, <laughs> right? And you're like, wow, that's great. And I know that one. But if you ever talk to a doctor, they're speaking in terms you don't understand. It's because they actually know what's going on, right? I'm just, I'm just showing my ignorance to you guys of like the way the body works in gardening. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but what I will talk to you about is, is what this looks like as you are coming under Christ as your guardian, as you're learning to come together as a church united in one mind, looking to Christ, following him, how this plays out. The first is sympathy. You'll be sympathetic towards one another. Literally what this means is suffering together. I'm going to give you an I'm going to give you what they mean, and I'm going to give you an example of what this looks like for us. Oftentimes, we don't suffer together partly because we feel like we're suffering. And it is healing and it is good for a church when you can do this together, where, where your problems aren't so preeminent in your own thinking that when somebody else brings something up, you're not, the first thing you do isn't, yeah, well, I went through something like that, but it was way harder. Right? You have those people, right? Where immediately something brings something up and all you can think about is what you are going through or yourself, right? Sympathy is not that, right? Sympathy is suffering together. Because one of the things that we understand through this, if you are living under an unjust government, which might have policies or things that you don't agree with, if you're living under a boss that maybe you don't, you don't completely agree with the way they're, they're functioning over you, all those things will lead to something in your life that you will probably consider suffering. Okay, but how good is it for people together to come and be able to, to sit down and say, I'm going to go this, through this with you, right? You're suffering, well, I'm going to go through this with you. Okay, tomorrow when you get off work, I'm going to call you and see how that day of work went. Okay? Oh, you're losing your health benefits because of something the government's done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep track of you and see how you're doing. And if it, if it means me, you know, doing some weird challenge like eating 12 pies and getting paid for it to raise money for you to go to the doctor, I'm going to do that. I just thought of that. I don't, it probably wouldn't be good for you either. But, but I'm going to, you know, do... <laughs> Do the Courage Classic, right? Do a bike ride. Do something like that, right? We're, we're, you, we are thinking. We're thinking how to suffer together, right? If you're going through I'm going through that with you. We are not a church unless we do that together, okay? We're not considering Jesus as the guardian of our souls if we're not also taking seriously that guardianship role over each other. Second is love as siblings, Love is a family. Um, I was talking with some guys about this this week. Uh, one of the clearest commands of Scripture is this. Care for orphans and widows and keep yourself from being unstained by the world. Care for orphans and widows. Meaning this, that there's a, a terrible teaching in the church that looks like this. I need to... I need to Make sure that my family is okay, and then if that's okay, then, I'm, then I can think about other people. 
right? And you hear this all the time, especially in young churches, right? Well, I just can't do that because, you know, my kids are young. And... Okay, what the scripture teaches is if you're a Christian, you have a big family, okay? The orphans and widows aren't outside your family. They're part of your family. So if an orphan and widow that you know, you're in relationship with, aren't healthy, that means your family is not healthy, okay? And this is an amazing teaching because so often we're like, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a bachelor, I'm set, like I can take care of myself, but the Bible isn't saying I'm my family. The Bible's saying you're my family, okay? And so care for each other as brothers and sisters, and that's important. Okay? Because we have a lot of people in this church, whether it's single moms or other people, maybe you go mow their lawn. You know, what, what are you going to do to care for your family? And, and if you were like, come mow my lawn, talk to somebody about that. Or if it's not being done immediately, man, we're learning to do this as a church. And I, and I hope we're learning to do it well. Okay? Um, but we're learning together. Tender-hearted. And so I think if we get to tender-hearted, um, especially because what it really means is be quick to feel, um, I think we'll probably think, uh, wow, this is really asking us to be a very mushy church. Right? <laughs> like, you might be like, I just don't like hugging people. Melissa's like, amen. Right? And that's okay. If you, if you are not a mushy person, this is actually what it's calling you to, and she's going to talk to me about that afterwards. If, if you're not a mushy person, that's okay. What this literally means, though, is if you translate into the Greek this word, it's where we get our idea of living with guts or moxie from, right? So it is a brave affection. It's a courageous affection. Live tenderheartedly. So a, a gutsy affection. And what this means is be brave in your pursuit of loving those who are in your body, right? Who are in your family, who are in your church, right? It could be that one of them is struggling, so they just feel like they're the black sheep, right? And, and no matter what you do in talking to them, they're just repelling you. Be gutsy in your affection, right? And do you see how, as we talk through these individually, th- we don't necessarily get this when we think of just love everybody, right? <laughs> right? Because when you just love everybody and you're called to have gutsy affection, it's very, very probable that you'll back down, right? So what does this mean, gutsy affection? Four, keep a humble attitude. So scripturally what this looks like, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so as a church, how are we together living humbly, right? That we're exalting others above ourselves. Um, See how humility and, and sympathy work so well together. Right? It's impossible to be sympathetic to somebody else and, and care for their needs above your needs if you're, you're proud in your own struggle. Right? Do this together. And then to sum it up, it says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. This is what God has called you to and he will bless you for it. So this is the call of a Christian. Literally what this is saying is inherit a blessing. So God, 
In you doing this, you are doing this understanding that we are heirs together of the blessing. And what blessing is that? That is, that is the blessing of together sharing in Christ being the guardian and shepherd of us as a whole, right? And not only that while we're here, but it's, it's looking forward to the day when we don't live under this kingdom, this rule, the reign over this world anymore, but we live under his good kingship in heaven, right? So we are inheritors of a blessing, and that will give us inspiration to love each other like this. Um, okay, so there is, there is a portion of scripture after this, uh, verses, verses 10 through 12, and, and this I'm going to explain really quick. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, um, but Peter's writing is really helpful in, in showing us how to understand the Bible. In 1 Peter, nine times he quotes the Old Testament. What this is doing is, is really cool. Because what, the way that the New Testament writers are treating the Old Testament is as a united whole. And so they see what their writing is and what the Old Testament writing is, is one cohesive whole that just complements itself. Right? And so he's using the Old Testament, Psalm 34, which he quotes here, to say, what I've said isn't anything new. Okay? But what you're seeing is something that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is really exciting because just as we see the whole of the scripture that seems so diverse and written by so many people, right, and it's united as a whole to give you a teaching that you can take and live by, the, the body of believers that comes under Jesus Christ should be united like that, as one whole, Okay? So we see the scriptures as a whole, and we're meant to see the body of Christians as a whole. But this might seem so contrary to maybe experiences in the past, or maybe you're coming and you're like, I just don't feel connected. So how do we experience it as a whole? And we, experiencing, we experience it as this. Jesus Christ is our example in this way. And let me walk through each of these steps with you. So whether it's sympathy or being tender-hearted, being courageous in affection, we see Jesus as fulfilling all these, and so we're still following him. How has Christ not sympathized with your weakness in every way? Right? So it says, finally, be united in one line. You be united in one mind, sympathize with one another. How has Christ not sympathized with his people in every way? Right? He didn't stay far and removed from his people, but he came down. And he just, he united himself with humanity in such a way that he understood, man, when you feel suffering, he felt suffering. And he still goes through it because he's uniting himself still as the shepherd and guardian of his people. So he's going through it with you. So how has Christ not sympathized with his people? And so when we sympathize, what we're doing still is we're just walking alongside, holding his hand, right? So if we fall, he's sweeping us up, right? Because I, I tell you, oftentimes we turn all of these, whether it's obeying your boss or submitting to the government, or all these things, loving your spouse, being tender-hearted, being humble... All those things, we just turn into rules like somehow, someday, I'm just going to be able to do that. But, 
But remember, remember this, this glorious teaching right in the middle of this all that says, remember Christ and how he sympathized with all your weakness and still is desiring for you to put your complete trust in him. How in every way has he loved his siblings that he has adopted, that you are his family, he's adopted into the faith. But the question is, guys, the question is this. It comes down to this. Do you trust him as the guardian of your souls? Or do you just come trying to find another rule to follow? So if you finish that rule, then maybe you'll inherit this blessing. And it's not that at all. What Jesus is genuinely calling you to do is trust him as the one who will walk you through it as the guardian of your souls. So don't be so narrow-focused that you still see yourself as an individual apart from Jesus, that you see yourself as an individual apart from the church. right? And I will tell you this, that, that so many of you and me at, at points in my life struggle so deeply and desperately because we still see ourselves as individuals. Right? Well, it's okay if the church does that, but, but I'm still doing this. Right? It's okay if Jesus does that, but, but I'm still struggling over here. It's not allowed as a Christian. If you're struggling, you bring that to Jesus. If you're struggling, you bring that to the church. Right? You find people that can pray for you and love you. Right? Finally, be one-minded in this, right? If we, example, if we go to Basque country, but you guys aren't praying for us, what good is that, right? What good is that if four of us go over there, but you guys are like, who cares, right? Hope they have a good vacation, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter unless the whole church together is going, we're praying for this. This is a great possibility, right? Unless we are one-minded as a church, accepting the guardianship of Jesus, Right? And really taking that so seriously that if someone else is like, I just feel weak, that you're grabbing them and going, man, not only am I going to walk with you, not only am I going to sympathize with you humbly, so I'm not just going to bring up your faults or my faults, right? but I'm going to walk with you humbly through this in such a way that is calling you to remember that Jesus is our guardian, right? that Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. Right? And that's really important. Because so much of us do, do this alone still. Right? It's just our tendency. right? They just don't understand. Well, they're not going to understand unless you talk with them about it. Right? This is really, really important. The passage in 1 Peter um, that talks about Jesus uh, is from Isaiah 53. And, and I want to read for you guys the way that ends because I think it really explains... When it, when it talks about us as being inheritors together, as we inherit this blessing together, this explains it well. It's in, in Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. And how we, what exactly the inheritance is and how we get that inheritance. Because I'm going I'm to tell you ahead of time, this is how it works. Our inheritance is the reward of Jesus. So when you're saying, I don't really get where my inheritance comes from, right? I don't, I don't get, so it talks about blessing. I don't get what that blessing is. That your inheritance as a Christian, all your inheritance is all the reward of Jesus' suffering, okay? And this is what it looks like. Isaiah 53, it says this. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. That doesn't sound like a good plan, does it? You're like, 
It was the Lord's plan to crush Jesus? How could that be a good plan? Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, see, I'm not pulling this out of nowhere when I say that he's taking care of your sin. When, when that good plan of God to crush him, his life was made an offering for your sin, he will have made descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. Do you guys get that? That's good. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Do you consider yourself a rebel, right? Have you been rebellious in your life? Well, he interceded on your behalf, right? So the reward that he gets from his suffering, this is the Old Testament. He hasn't even done this yet, and it's already predicting it, saying what your reward will be when he does this, and it's good. So all the reward from God being pleased because he became the perfect sacrifice for your rebellion, right? That's your reward, right? The victorious honor that a soldier will get from doing something courageous and brave, right? What Jesus did, and he received the highest reward possible, which is to be called by God, my beloved child, right? That reward is yours in Christ Jesus. And that, that everyone, that is what we come to in Christ and unite our minds around. That's what we wrap our minds around. Okay? So what... What we do weekly as a church, and is going to be worked out in life together, not life separate. That's what the title of the sermon is, Living Together. What we work out in our living together is what has been accomplished through wrapping our minds around what it means to, to be inheritors of that reward that was Jesus Christ. And this works out really practically, <laughs> okay? And, and so I'm going to give you action steps, right? If, you, if you're like, I don't know. I like that. I don't know what this could look like. This could look like things like inviting someone over to dinner in this church before you leave today that you can begin getting to know them and wrapping your mind together around what it looks like for the church to be a church together, right? That's what it looks like. I don't want you to just go away and like theologize about this, but, but what, how it looks like practically is you like, hey, come over for dinner. Let's just wrap our minds around Jesus together, right? It could be, you know, if, if you're really connected, if you're like going to community group already, what this could look like is, remember it says, live such good lives among those who don't believe in Jesus, they really admire Jesus, right? It could look like baking banana bread and taking it to your neighbor and just be like, hey, I care about you. I know this is weird, but I do, right? So all these things that we can do to not only begin wrapping our minds around this as a body together, so going to community group, inviting each other over for dinner, or, or showing that if you feel like you're really well connected and you're just like, I enjoy this, 
Um, it could just be extending that out to people who don't have that community, don't have Jesus as the guardian of their souls and are still doing it all by themselves. So I really encourage you guys um, to really take those steps actively to experience it together. So um, I'm going to pray for us and then, and then we'll sing some more together. Um, but remember, as we sing, that, that we are inheritors of the reward that Jesus has purchased for us. Uh, and that's a very, very exciting thing. And if you have any questions about it, definitely follow up with me afterwards. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing together. Oh God, I, I pray just like you threw your words out, and they became worlds. Um, just as you so effortless, effortlessly can create... But strangely, it seemed like it took so much effort in the suffering of the Son to bring us a good inheritance, to, to make us righteous. Um, I pray that we'll just value that, value that above everything else, and hold to it. Um, God, I pray that we won't do this alone. Um, but God, God, we need you so much to lead us through this whole process. Um, So I pray, God, that we'll be willing followers. Um, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.